Old Testament has all kinds of really beautiful, beautiful foreshadowings of, of the Christmas story and just showing the, the meaning, the value, the purpose of it. And they're so beautiful for us to actually step our lives into, our, our faith, our life, our hope, that we can see the benefits, the blessings, the joy of the Christmas story where God clothes himself in, in human flesh. And so uh, today we're going to talk about uh, Christmas, the bread of heaven. So Christmas, the, the bread of heaven. Uh, we're going to look at, at an amazing story uh, about uh, a family, a Jewish family, Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Kilon, Kilon, Kilon is how his name is pronounced, I think, uh, head off to another country. And it's, a, it's an interesting story, but it's a story about Ruth, and it's found in the Old Testament in the book that bears her name, Ruth. And we're, we're going to talk a lot about it, but it's interesting because most of what we're going to talk about, it all kind of unfolds, at least half of today's message unfolds in just five verses. So we don't get a whole lot of insight on that. But what does happen is there's a, a problem. In, in Bethlehem, they're running low on food. We could say there's no bread in Bethlehem, which that's a problem because... Bethlehem means house of bread. So you think if you're the house of bread, you ought to have bread in Bethlehem. But there's a famine in the land. Things are getting tough. Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Kilon, they're, they're uh, struggling. And Elimelech says to himself, and, and this happens 1,100 years before the birth of Jesus. So this is, this is an event that happened about 3,000 years ago. There's, a, there's staying power to the Bible. It's interesting. 3,000 years ago. Uh, and the, Elimelech is saying, hey, I, I, I think I have better opportunities outside the boundaries of God. I think I have better opportunities because the, the, our two adult kids are eating us out of the house and home. Food's hard to come by. I don't know how I'm going to supply for the family. And I think I have better opportunities outside the boundaries of God. There's so many lessons in this story. First of all, who of us haven't been lied to by the devil that there's better opportunities outside the boundaries of God. You know, God has uh, a, a perimeter. God has principles that he wants us to operate in. And there's something in our human nature, our fallen nature anyway, that gets pushed on by the devil that says he's trying to hold you back. He, you know, this is not good. We need to be free. We need to do whatever we want, when we want, how we want, where we want, with whom we want. You get the idea. But there's a little saying that I use often because it just my my... When I heard that, I said, that is so true and so poignant. Here it is. A train is never more free than when it's on the tracks. You think about that. You think, well, there's a lot of constriction to being on the tracks. Well, you can choose to hop off the track if you're a train, but now you're, you're stuck. Things do not go well for a train when they get off the track. And things don't go well for people when they get outside of God's design, outside of God's plan. But Elimelech decides, I think I can do better outside. Now, and so he decides he's going to take his family to this pagan country called Moab. Now, I'm not picking on him because, I don't want to criticize him, I figure it was a decision he didn't come to lightly. Now, we don't see that he prayed or sought God, but then again, we only got five verses in the story where, up to this point. But he decides, I, I just, I picture him over supper one night just looking at Naomi saying, honey, I, I don't know what to do. I've twisted this problem every which way I can. I've looked at it from every angle. I cannot see anything that we can do except leave this land and go to another and find resources. 
So I, I assume he didn't take it lightly. So he leaves his, his land, his buildings, his home, his family, his friends, his church, his, his, his people, everything. He packs up his family and then moves them to Moab. Now when he gets to Moab, uh, Malon and Kilion, they find a couple Moab maidens that they marry, uh, Orpah and Ruth, and they're having a life there, and over a course of time, Elimelech dies. Now, that's t- it's tough being a widow. You know, even in today's culture, it was like crazy tough in that culture. And so then, over a course of time, uh, Malon and Kilion die as well. And so here's Ruth and Orpah and Naomi with no men in their lives. So all the, all the men that Naomi would have been able to rely upon all of them that are in Moab are dead. And so this is a huge, huge deal. So now we, we have uh, three widows. And then we find that, that some news comes from Bethlehem. And we see this in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, that it says, Then she arose, the she is Naomi, she arose with her daughters-in-law, that they might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them what? Bread. He had visited their people by giving them bread, which is a promise of God. Remember, you think, I don't know how I'm going to make it. David said this, King David said, uh, the shepherd turned king. He said, I once was young and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed or children, in other words, their children, begging bread. So Elimelech, as a Jewish person, a Hebrew, an Israelite, he had that promise he could have clung to, but he chose to leave and go to Moab. And you might notice that when we walk outside the boundaries of God, things just don't seem to go well. You've probably done it, I've done it, it doesn't work well. And Paul even tells, Paul who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, he talks to one of his young trainees, Timothy, and he tells him this in Timothy 6, Uh, 10, he says, Timothy, some people have wandered from the faith. I don't think we'd be butchering scripture, say they've walked outside the boundaries of the word of God. They've wandered from their faith, and catch this, they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Not just a grief or two, but they have pierced themselves with many griefs. We always like to blame God for everything. You know, well, why'd God do this to me? He just got ticked off because he didn't think I was serving him good enough. Well, there's principles that work. And if you want to stand the principles that work, there's a blessing that flows with that. You say, I don't like those principles. I want to go to my own principles. Then you get the benefits of how your principles work. And they don't work so well. So they pierce themselves with many griefs, and that's the same calamity that this whole family came upon. And so at year number 10, all the men are dead, but she gets this word that there's bread back in Bethlehem. So they're going to head back to Bethlehem. Now, there's an interesting thing that happens because Naomi knows that there's not a whole lot for her daughter-in-laws there. But it's a beautiful story because when we read through the scripture, we find Jesus saying, and even the early church leaders, that salvation, the message of salvation, the gospel, is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And, and if you were born Jewish, if that's your, uh, your ethnicity, you were born Jewish, then you're a Jew. But most of us here, probably, probably all of us, most of us here weren't born that way. So we're Gentiles. 
And the beautiful thing about the Christmas message is there's room for us in the story as well. In fact, when you look at, at, and I taught about this a couple of Christmases ago, you look at the Christmas story and God's like picking up everybody. He's got wise men coming who were pagans and, and had all kinds of stuff going on in their lives. They're coming from a foreign country with a pagan background. And they're also the elite and the intellectuals of their area. Then you got the common worker who's a shepherd out in the field, the blue-collar worker. You got, you got kings and, and wise men and ordinary people. You got everybody. It's like God saying, because this is what he's saying, I'm for everybody. You're, you're welcome. I don't care if you're a foreigner. I don't care if you've been worshiping an idol all your life. I don't care if you're the intellectual elite or the poor and broken. I'm open to everyone. So that's a beautiful one. We're, we're included in the Christmas story. Aren't you glad that we're included in that Christmas story? And so Naomi gets her daughters-in-laws together, and she says, look, gals, she said, there's, there's nothing for you in Bethlehem. Go, go back to your families. And, man, seriously, Naomi must have been one awesome mother-in-law because they don't want to go back. They want to go with her. And Orpah and Ruth both say, no, 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 we're going to go with you. And then Naomi lays out, you can read it. Ruth's only like four chapters, so if you get a chance to read through it, or now we have so much technology, get online, somebody will read to you the, the four chapters of Ruth. And she lays out a very intellectual, sensible, sane reason why they should not go back with her. And then finally it says that Orpah wept and cried and hugged uh, Naomi and kissed her and went back to her family. But then we got Ruth. Ruth's stubborn. Ruth, the, the, I think the King James says that she clinged to Naomi and she said, I'm not leaving. She said, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And then she speaks a curse over herself as she ever breaks that. She says, and, and may God deal ever so severely with me if anything but death separates us. Wow. She's, she's a person of faith. By the way, it's, a, it's also a beautiful picture of what I believe genuine Christianity is. Genuine Christianity. Here, here is, is uh, Ruth, who is a foreigner, Outside, an alien, a stranger to the promises of God. She's been an idol worshiper, I would assume, because they weren't worshipers of, of the Israelites' God. And she decides, I'm going to change my life drastically. See, I'm confused when people say, I love the Lord, and I want to give my life to the Lord, but then I'm going to put him on a shelf over here, and I'm going to go do my life however I want, with no consideration of him whatsoever. Unless they're in trouble, right? I mean, we're all like that. We're in trouble. Now I want to run back. Oh, Jesus, rescue me, rescue me. And then when he rescues them, they go, okay, I'm done with you now. And they go back this way. But Ruth's a beautiful example of somebody who says, it's, a, it's actually a foreshadowing what Christianity looks like. We say, hold it. I'm going to leave the people who want to drag me down in sin, keep me in sin, mock me for not wanting to be a sinner, who, who want to drag me back into sin. I'm going to leave those people I'm going to leave my gods. You may say, well, I wasn't an idol worshiper, but there was something that you were worshiping in, in a, a, a loose sense of the word worship, something that you loved more than God that drew you over there. You say, hold on, I'm leaving all that, and I'm going over here. And now i got a new family. I have a new God. I, I'm a new person, and I'm going to cling to this a totally different way of doing life. And that's what Ruth does. 
And so, and, and also, I'm serious about this. I, I was thinking about this, the longevity of the word of God. Ruth refuses to let go and goes after God. And to this day, we still name our baby girls Ruth. Now, you may have run across it, so it's possibly out there, and I'm sure it is out there somewhere. But you don't know a lot of people named Orpah, do you? No, you don't. The name Orpah just didn't stick. Now, you could say, well, that's because Orpah seems like a strange-sounding word to us. Well, I believe, this is my belief, you can do it this, whatever you want. Had Orpah went back and Ruth stayed, Orpah would have been assimilated into our culture because it's such a noble person, such a noble story, that we'd probably think Ruth sounds odd to us. But Ruth was the one whose name and whose history gets lodged into the Christian world, and we're still naming our baby girls Ruth. So, it's a scary world for widows. And now we have two back in Bethlehem. No one to take care of them. And so Naomi and Ruth talk, and Ruth's going to go to a field and glean. Now, show of hands, has anybody ever gleaned before? Raise your hand up if you've ever gleaned. Okay. Now, some of you may say, I don't even know what gleaning is. Gleaning is when you go after the harvesters have done their thing, you go in and you grab the weed or grain or whatever that's left over that they didn't get. And even if it's a, a well-tuned machine, there'll still be some harvest left over that you can grab you a sack, a bag, a wagon, whatever, and you can throw the grain in there, and you can use it for yourself or take it to the market to sell, whatever. That's what gleaning is. So Ruth is going to the fields to glean. She goes to the fields to glean, and she has favor with somebody that Naomi's mentioned her named Boaz. So she comes back to Naomi and says, hey, I, I'm, I, I got favor with this guy named Boaz. Man, Naomi's excited. She's, there's opportunity now. And she's probably a good matchmaker too. So you read the story and she's going to try to get these people together. And she says, oh, you've met Boaz. Boaz is family. And not just any family. He's close, close family. And so she gives her some instructions what to do. And Boaz has such an affinity towards Ruth. And part of it is because he's heard the story of what a woman of noble character she is. How she loved and cared for Naomi uh, like, a, like a, a blood mother. She took care of Naomi. And so he's attentive to her. And then he comes to Ruth and he says, I want to be your kinsman redeemer. Now that's probably not a word that we all use a lot, kinsman redeemer. But it's a beautiful story of Christmas and a beautiful story of the cross and a beautiful story of the resurrection and a beautiful story of salvation. The kinsmen are family redeemer. This was a big deal. Okay, Malon has died, and he was Ruth's husband. In Israel, so that a name would not be forgotten in Israel, a family member, often a brother, would marry uh, the widow of another brother to keep that family. And everything that happened when that marriage would belong and be under the name of that brother. Well, a kinsman redeemer has a lot of benefits because, first of all, the kinsman redeemer buys everything that the widow has. So Naomi's going to get a chunk of money for her land, property, everything, and be taken care of. And then he would marry Ruth, would be what would happen, and any children that they have, it, it, it becomes at least the firstborn and the inheritance becomes the firstborn son. The inheritance becomes part of Malon's lineage. And so his name or lineage is not forgotten in Israel. This was a super, super big deal. Now, it's not that big of a deal anymore. And in fact, I'm, I'm not dismissing that. I just want to tell you how I, th how I think. Um, 
sometimes we get really, really concerned. I've seen families get really concerned that there's no sons to carry on the name. You, you know what I mean? And, and you think, I, we need to have a son. Sometimes the daughter will not take the wedded name so they can keep the name alive. I, I don't mind. That's fine. I don't care. I'm just telling you how I'm wired up. I belong to God, and there's plenty of McIntyres around the globe. So if we all had girls, and they all had different names, that'd be okay with me, because I'm just passing through anyway. So I'm not, that's just me. I, again, I'm not picking on you. Say, no, I'm not wired up. That's fine. I don't mind that you're wired up that way. We can be different, can't we? Okay, we can be different and, and still love one another, right? And, but I just think it doesn't matter. My dad had six sisters and didn't even have this revelation until a few years ago. Sean and I were going to the McIntyre family reunion. He said, who are the McIntyres? They're going to be there. And I thought, wow, me, you, Grandpa, one of my brothers, there'll probably be four McIntyres actually there. There'll be 60 people there, but only four of them will be McIntyres because, as you know, six sisters, he was the only boy, they all had different last names. So it's a really funny thing to go to a McIntyre family reunion and no one there is named McIntyre, and that's the way it was. But that was okay, because we're just passing through. But this is a really big deal in Israel. And so Boaz says, Drew, I, I want to be your kinsman redeemer. And she knows what that means. Ruth knows that I'm, I will marry you, I will care for you, I will care for Naomi. Uh, Naomi will get the profit off all the property and everything. He says there's just one problem. There's somebody that stands between me and you. There's a kinsman that's closer than I am. And so I have to ask him first. And so he's very strategic. He sits out by the city gates and he sees this guy come, which we never get the guy's name. The guy comes up and says, friend, come over and talk to me. And he said... Uh, Naomi is back, Elimelech, our relative, has passed away, all of his stuff. You're the first in line as a kinsman or family redeemer. Kin means family. If you're from Kentucky, you know that. Kin, family. And so he says, we're going to uh, buy this, but you have first opportunity. If you'd like to buy the land and everything and pay Naomi. And he says, yeah, I'd like to do that. He said, okay, but there's one other problem. Malon's wife, widow, came back, Ruth, and you have to marry her and buy the property. And he says, ah, that's kind of going to throw a wrench in things. That, that can mess up my estate. Now, I want to explain that, why that happens. He wasn't being mean. What he's saying is, all my life I've worked to create this heritage and inheritance and estate. And now I have to take a chunk of this estate and my wealth and buy Naomi's, Elimelech's, property. And then I have to marry Ruth. And if Ruth has a son, all that becomes his. You see the problem? In other words, I took a big chunk out of my estate for, for my family I have now. I bought over here. She has a son. I've virtually lost all of that. That's no longer mine. It belongs to Malon and, and that. He's establishing his name in Israel. So there's only one thing that really motivate you to be a kinsman redeemer. Love. Love. a great God. Love. And so Boaz says, hey, so you, you don't want to, to take Ruth and you don't want to take the property? And, and he says, no. He said, that, that won't work for me. And so there's ten witnesses there. And so they seal the deal. Now here's how you sealed the deal. The other guy took off the shoe and said, here, I relinquish my rights to Elimelech's property. 
and Boaz takes his shoe. And I'm just a curious person because I always wonder, does the guy get his shoe back? You know, I'm, I'm serious. I like spent way too much time trying to figure out if he got his shoe back, and I never could figure that out in all my research. So I'm picturing this guy, you know, he's walking home like, okay, okay, hey, it's, it's all yours. And he's, he's lost his shoe, but that's, that's how they, they used to do things back in that day. So I guess every step was a reminder of whether you made a good decision or a bad decision <laughs> with that. And so here we are. We have this beautiful story. And it all happens. Just Boaz marries Ruth. Uh, Naomi's now cared for. She's got all the money that he paid for all the property. And plus, he's going to care for her like his own. And he cares for Ruth. And Ruth has a baby. Ruth has a baby, a son. Now, again, if all you're thinking about the money, you think, oh, my goodness, I was hoping she'd have all girls, you know, but now you've had a son, so everything I've spent is going to go to... He doesn't care because he loves her. We're deeply... The Christmas story is a story about how deeply, passionately we are loved by God. And this child that she has is named Obed. Now, Obed means worshiper. Ah, oh, she gives birth to a worshiper. And so Ruth gives birth to Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David, the greatest king in all of Israel. The one of whom God prophesied to and said, David, there will always be a king on your throne. This Moabite, Gentile woman, idol worshiper, has been brought in too the lineage of Jesus. When you follow that down, you find out, here's Ruth. Here's Ruth. You also find Rahab a prostitute in the lineage. You will find, well, God just all, no, God loves people. God loves you. Wherever your background is, what all you've done, you know, you say, well, I couldn't. I, I prayed with someone to receive Christ if, uh, probably about three weeks ago. He said, I just don't think I could, I could receive him. He thought that there's something wrong with him, something broken with him, something he couldn't do. You know what? It doesn't really matter what your past is, but I can tell you, your future can be pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty awesome in Jesus. And so Ruth, the great-great-grandma of King David. And I don't know how many greats it takes to go back a couple thousand years for her lineage to catch up to Jesus. You know, we've all wandered outside the boundaries of God's. But wandering doesn't give life. Wandering kills life. And the good news is there's bread back in Bethlehem. And many of you probably know this. Shockingly, it wasn't that many years ago I, I learned this. When I think of the manger before I learned this, I just thought it was the place you put Jesus in. But I found out a manger is a feeding trough. It's what you feed the animals in. And so the bread of heaven comes down. God's really strategic on all this stuff. And he, he takes the bread of heaven and places him in a feeding trough. And we catch Jesus talking about who he is in John the 6th chapter. In John chapter 6, 47 through 51, it says, very truly I tell you, 
This is Jesus speaking. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of heaven. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat. You're an anyone. That anyone, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So many beautiful messages in this story. One thing I want to tell you is don't roam. Don't wander off. It's not good to wander off. You don't have to take the hard road. You don't have to pierce yourself with many griefs. You don't have to allow Satan to steal, kill, and destroy from you when the bread of heaven said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. You can eat the bread of heaven and have life now and forever. So our assignment's pretty straightforward. If we'd read all of John 6, if we would have read it all, we would have found out that they come to Jesus, and we talk about this with some regularity, and they want to do something to earn it, which we're all kind of wired up that way. I, what, what, they, they say, Jesus, John chapter 6 reveals, you read it all. Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Now, I, I read, when I read, I think it's a, a genuine, sincere asking. I, I want to know God. I want to have eternal life. I, what must I do? And Jesus just blows them all away when he says, here is the work the Father requires. Are you ready? To believe in the one he has sent. But, you know, I've heard you teach before that we need to do this or need to do that. Okay, there, we were saved to do good works. We weren't saved by good works. We were saved to do them, but not saved by them. So we come to Jesus and we believe. But I do want to say this. Belief, genuine belief changes us. Genuine belief uh, changes how we behave, changes our purpose, changes our life. When, when Ruth decided to believe, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your land will be my land. Where you die, I'll die. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Where you live, I'll live. You know, it changed her. And so I, I truly don't understand, I believe in Jesus. He's so wonderful. Now, I don't want to have anything to do with you again. I'm going to go live my life however I want. I, I, that's not biblical belief. Biblical belief, now it doesn't say biblical belief makes us humanly perfect and flawless, but it changes the direction of our life, the course of our life. If we were out hanging out in the foyer after the service day and we were talking, I said, oh, I said, I just wanted you to know something. Up in the a basket by where my wife Darlene sits. There's a little bag there, by the way. You can't see it, most of you. But if I said, by the way, I, ha I brought an envelope for you, and I put $1,000 in cash in that envelope, and I forgot to tell you that. But if, when we're done talking, you can come out and get that. That's all it's yours. If you said, I believe, and then walked out the door and got in your car, I would say, they didn't believe. They didn't believe. In fact, if you believe, I have a feeling that our conversation will wrap up abruptly. 
we'll be done talking. I was going to tell a big story, not interested now. Uh, if I start to tell a story, you'll say, save that for another day, brother. I got some things to do. And you'd make your way up here, and you'd take that envelope, and you'd open it up. You'd see one, you'd see 10 $100 bills in there, and you'd go, oh, yeah. And would you leave with joy? Yeah. Would you leave with a, a little spring in your step? Would you? Yeah, sure. Now you may say, well, I've got $100,000 in the bank. That doesn't matter. I don't know anybody who has a million dollars in the bank that doesn't mind getting a thousand. I just, I don't, I don't know anybody who would mind that. For clarity, do not get your belief, you know, meters ramped up because there is no envelope in there. There is no, I just, it was merely an example, merely an example. But true belief would change the trajectory. You were getting ready to go out the door, but now you're going to come up here to this front row. It would change something. And so true belief does do that. So our assignment is to believe and allow that belief to take us on the most amazing journey of growth and life that is possible on planet Earth. So listen, my friends, there's bread back in Bethlehem. In fact, even better than that, there's bread for everyone on planet Earth. Anyone who eats of him will live and have eternal life.